0: You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show.
1: Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer here with my good friend and partner in this podcast, Bart Kaler. And today we are bringing to you a roundtable of emerging AI technologies geared for higher ed marketing executives and their colleagues. We've brought two experts to the table Andrew Cassell, who is the social media strategist and content producer at Middlebury College. And Brian Piper, who has been on the podcast before, Director of Content Strategy and Assessment at the University of Rochester. Bart, these are your pals. You have AI conversations with them on a weekly basis, and I'm glad that we're going to bring those type of conversations to a public setting because I'm always amazed of what comes out of those conversations, and I think our listeners will be too.
2: Yeah, I really have gotten, it's been a pleasure getting to know Brian and, and Andrew. I had an opportunity to meet them at the the Inside Higher Ed Hashtag Higher Ed Conference. And I've talked a lot about being on stage with Gil and Rafi on that conference, but I was also on stage with Brian and, and Andrew and a couple other folks talking about social media on that day. And during that social media conversation, I don't know if it was Brian or if it was Andrew, but somebody dropped something about AI because I had talked about it earlier that day. And since then, I had started building relationships with them on LinkedIn, getting to know them. Obviously, we had Brian on the conversation on the podcast. And, and then we just came off the tail this week of having the AI Summit. And so it made a lot of sense to just kind of continue the conversation. These guys are brilliant guys. They're fun guys to be with. I think this is one of the times I've laughed the hardest during the podcast. And so it's a fun, lively, entertaining conversation. But you're going to learn a lot. So uh, just just sit back and enjoy this conversation.
1: Here is our roundtable on emerging AI technologies. I want to thank the three of you for being willing to participate in this roundtable. And as Bart knows, we ask all of our guests to start off our conversations by sharing something that they've learned recently that our audience would deem interesting or fun. So, Brian, I'm going to ask for you to start us off with something that you've learned recently. Well,
3: I'm actually going to stay kind of in line with our topic of discussion today because I just recently started playing around with the advanced data analysis capability within ChatGPT. I think it may be hands down the most powerful feature of this tool. And I can't believe the way that I've been able to combine data from multiple different documents to get like really valuable insights and answers.
1: Thank you, Brian, and we'll make sure to get into that a little bit deeper once we start the roundtable. Andrew, if you would now tell us what you've learned recently that our audience would seem fun or interesting. Well, my initial reaction
4: is to say what I just heard from Brian is very fun (laughs) and interesting, and I want to start using that right now. But from a more serious thing, reminded this week about our communities and the importance of our work in communicating and supporting our communities in general. And that as we share content throughout our platforms, we are always supporting them and helping them heal from things that have happened. And it's never good to be reminded about the importance of us as voices and identities and members of the institutions we represent, and that the students, the parents, families, loved ones, the communities that host us are as much of our work as everyday life. And so it's just a real reminder of that this week, yet again, and unfortunately.
1: Thank you, Andrew, and I appreciate that. And I'm going to throw a slight curveball because I don't usually ask Bart this, but since this is a roundtable that all three of you are going to be participating in, Bart, Please share something that you've learned recently that our audience would deem interesting or fun.
2: I feel like my entire life is getting immersed in AI. I'd I, I kind of mentioned on the AI summit that I recently purchased an EV uh, truck, and so my F one hundred and fifty is basically a computer on wheels, and uh, it's kind of wild. But the thing is, my favorite pastime when I'm not, you know, on the higher ed marketer or hanging out with Troy is to watch football. And so, I've been really getting into the Thursday night football with the uh, Amazon AI and the, the advanced analytics and everything. And so, I was watching it. And so, last night, I decided, you know, I'm going to look at it and see kind of what this is all about. Well, it's basically AI and machine learning that they have basically trained it on 35,000 plays in a library. And so, they've basically taken 35,000 plays from however long they've been recording it. And that's what that tool is trained on. So, that's why it can make the predictions to say, defense defensive play coming or the different ways that it's predicting things. And so I thought that was pretty fascinating.
1: That is
4: fascinating. So, they train the machine learning models and all these plays they've recorded for all these NFL films. Then can't we do generative AI football players to play a video game <laughs> that has all of their styles and skills and the plays that they have done, everything that they've ever done in their career that's been recorded. We could generate those, whoever we wanted to play. In fact, we could put skins of any persona on there. We could have Jennifer Lawrence playing <laughs> as a quarterback <laughs> in a Super Bowl. Oh my God. Oh, Sorry. That's what I wanted to say, Troy. So thank you for letting me sort of (laughs) spin off into that idea from Bart's (laughs) statue.
1: So I've had the pleasure of getting to know both Andrew and Brian over the last week or so. And... I would love for just to let them let loose because they're all three very smart, interesting. But I need to keep us on topic. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) And that topic is the roundtable of emerging AI technologies in higher ed marketing. So, I think our goal today is to inform inspire, and also make sure everyone knows the disadvantages or what the penalties might be if you fall behind. Uh, Bart and I just hosted a AI Summit, and from all of the panelists, which included Brian, there was so much learning, and the feedback that we got was so rich that we wanted to continue that conversation here on the podcast. So, Bart, I'm going to ask you to start out because I often here you use the analogy of what we are currently experiencing with the rapid AI technology ramp up to back in the 1800s of the gold rush and for those who weren't at the forefront maybe losing the competitive edge and would like for you to explain that here cuz you do it much better than i
2: <laughs> well i uh, i was watching a discovery channel documentary a couple about a week ago on the gold rush. And it was fascinating because it just started by, you know, somebody being in, washing his clothes in the Creek in, in California and, and noticing something shiny and picked it up and realized, oh, this is gold. And then as they started realizing there's a lot more gold here, word got out back East and everybody realized this is the opportunity because it was public lands. Anybody could go there and anybody could just, you know, show up and start panning for gold and walk away extremely rich. And I started thinking about it. That's kind of where we are today, where it's like, you know what? It's There's really no barrier of entry. I mean, you can sign up for a free open AI account for, with ChatGPT, and you can literally just start learning. I mean, these guys didn't know how to pan for gold when they went out to California. They just showed up, and people started learning it, and they started teaching other people, hey, if you do this, if you do that. And it was just this rush of people. And at one point, they said that the wagon trains that were going from Independence, Missouri on the Oregon trail out to California before they got to the Sierra Nevada's in some place in the, in the plains, they were three miles wide is how many people were going on that, on those wagon trains, that many people side by side. And so it's still early enough. And and even back then it was still early enough that people were going. And so as we talk today, I just want to encourage everybody. And I loved your point, uh, Brian, from the session ChatGPT hasn't even celebrated its first birthday. I think this is going to drop in in December. And so it would be just one years old by then. And so the idea of where we're at, where we were a year ago is just phenomenal. And keep in mind, whatever we talk about today, whether it's Brian or Andrew or myself, we're learning and we're just happen to be a few steps down the road from where you are. And so I'm really encouraged about all this. And so I, I guess That's where I'm thinking about this gold rush. It's an exciting time. There's still a lot of gold in the hills. There's still a lot of opportunity. And the thing is, it's not a limited resource like the gold was. And so, I don't know, Brian, Andrew, what do you guys think? I mean, how do you feel like things are right now? I mean, there's an excitement in the air, but I think there's a lot of people that are like, nah, you know, I can imagine what it was like in 1849. "Ah, I'll be fine. Just stay in here. I don't need to worry about that or whatever. So, you know, Brian, what do you think? Yeah. Well, luckily we don't have to
3: trek across the plains anymore to use these AI (laughs) tools. We can just do it on our phones or wherever. But yeah, I agree. The opportunities and the advancement in all of these tools is incredible. And every time I do a presentation on AI, I always start off with, you know, putting an expiration date on my deck, because usually within a, a couple of weeks, half of what you include in that deck is no longer going to you know, be valuable or relevant. And I think that, you know, it's so important right now to just start educating and learning and figuring out how these tools work because AI is gonna be integrated into every tool that we use. And if we don't understand the capabilities of it and the different opportunities that are available, we're gonna underutilize these incredible resources.
4: I think the gold rush, um idea is so fascinating. I lived for a long time in Fairbanks, Alaska, which was sort of based off of a gold rush, the second gold rush of the early 20th century, and saw what happens when a community sort of leans all into one resource and what that means without a balance of other things. But the other part that's so fascinating to think about this idea is with a gold rush community, there's all the support networks that come with it. The people who open the restaurants the people who have the hotels that support the prospectors that sell the tools for the prospectors the families that come out from that so while it may not be everybody in your department at your school that's using the generative ai tools or ai tools in general there is a whole support network that will grow around your use of them and the more that you find ways to include them the more that you can bring in designers writers, students, to maybe suggest prompt engineering, how you can work with admissions, advancement, with even the events planning. So it's the, there's the prospector out there that finds that, that poke of gold, and they're going to get rich. But that rich, that wealth, means a whole bunch of other people and other areas of professionalism and expertise also succeed.
2: Let's tease that out a little bit, because I, I don't want you know, to go so far on the metaphor. But let's kind of talk that through because I think before you can have that, that gold rush in your department, in your college, in your institution, you've got to have some buy-in around, around the table too, because I mean, you know, those hotels and those support systems don't, don't pop up unless that, you know, leadership understands there's some importance here. So, I mean, maybe Andrew just kind of, you know, react against that. And then Brian, I'd, I'd be curious, you know, what's going on independently at each of your schools.
4: I think that's absolutely right. Like uh, it, this prospector idea of you're sitting out there on the stream and you're swirling your pan and you get your gold. And people are like, that guy is nuts. Like w- w- he's just living out. No one understands him. He speaks a language. He's all alone out there. But it, then it a little bit. What? He's uh, Money and money makes the economy grow. So it's finding those resources, using the things, maybe starting and then when people see the value in action, that's the thing to do. So finding, are there little projects that you can do on your own, that you can show value and effectiveness and success with? And then if you can do that, might help have the person fund the hotel.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Creating those case study opportunities and then being also able to show peer institutions who are already embracing the technology and maybe have already got leadership buy-in are great ways to sell it to your leadership. And then, uh, you know, it's only a matter of time before there are going to be risks involved of not starting to adopt these technologies. And I think, you know, higher ed is going through all sorts of change right now. And I think change management is going to be a, a huge part of all, everything that we do moving forward in higher ed in order to ensure that, you know, we survive and we
2: thrive. Yeah. I was on a, I was interviewed last evening on a podcast, the school's marketers journal, it's a Australian podcast and it's servicing kind of uh, you know, the, what would be considered K-12 in the Australian market. And they, and it's basically heads of schools are listening. And I was asked, I was like, well, if you're a head of school or somebody in the school, how do you bring along the rest of the school? How do you do that? And one of the things I tried to tell them is I said, you have to kind of one, get a temperature on where everybody stands on it before you just jump in and start plowing in either as a leader or as an influencer or somebody who's trying to pull everyone else along. And so I was recommending that you want to really have the conversations around the lunch table, around, you know, uh, around the water cooler, if you will just to get a temperature on where everybody is on things. And and I know that it's going to widely vary in your institution. I mean, faculty might have one perspective. Marketing might have another one. Senior leadership might have a totally different one, even if they are, you know, they might not have as much awareness as you in marketing. I heard the other day that marketing is the one vertical that is using generative AI the most. So it doesn't, it's not surprising that we might be leading in our institution. But then it's like, once you do that and you start understanding it, Then it's kind of starting those little bite-sized pieces that Andrew talked about. It's like, well, how do we do a little use case study? How do we do a little thing? Or even if you start to kind of do a a brown, you know, a a brown bag luncheon, we're just going to talk about it. I've started encouraging people like if you've never used it before, and this is what I said on the podcast and on a webinar earlier this week, if you've never used it before, just do a meal plan with chat GPT. Just say, here's my family. This is what we like to eat. This is what we don't like to eat. Create a meal plan for the next seven days for us. And you could say, what kind of, you know, that's a real simple way to get it to start to realize that, oh, wow, this is something that is a lot more than what I thought it was. And then if you even want to go down and take a picture of your refrigerator or your pantry and say, make a meal plan with what I've got in in my storehouse. I I think that that's kind of where I'm thinking that you kind of have to take baby steps and and you can't take slow baby steps because we've got to, we've got to bring people along. But if you come in, you know, just guns ablaze, and I think you're going to have a lot of trouble real quick. Bart, can
4: I ask you a little bit about that that you were just talking about? Because those conversations can feel bad. Like, As a proponent of these tools and this technology, like, this is great. This is going to be amazing. It's changing everything. And then people are like, no, it's awful. You're bad for thinking that it's good. How do you handle that sort of the bad vibes that people send your way when you rave? Or Brian, also, you might have encountered this too. I'm struggling with that sometimes.
2: I'm going to let Brian kind of answer that because you probably are doing it I'm kind of one of those vendor guys that, you know, they can kind of (laughs) nod to me and say, oh yeah, that's right. And then when they shut the door, like that guy's cuckoo, what are we doing? I mean, but you guys are embedded.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Brian, how do you handle that sort of bad feeling that you get when people are anti this tech and you're so proud of it?
3: Well, and, you know, we ran into this with Web3, with Metaverse, any of these new technologies, you have to understand that there is going to be people who are very hesitant about adopting it and people who you're just not going to be able to convert. And so I just let it go and drop the conversation and don't try to push my point on them and realize that eventually they're gonna come along. They're gonna keep looking around and seeing more and more people talking about it, more and more people using this technology. And eventually, like the adoption of the phone or the internet. I mean, nobody needed a website, you know, 15 years ago, because who's ever going to go and look at your digital presence online? And now we wouldn't think of not having a website. So
4: I imagine, Brian, that that face comes around the door like, um, you were talking about AI last year, right? That was you like that. <laughs> it's already happened. It's already happened.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've had a good. We've made that analogy, but we'd like to go from the opportunities to dive in into what are the tools that are available and how do you see them being used by uh, marketing, as Bart said, they're doing the most adopting, but then into admissions and then into faculty and more even importantly, the students. There's such a fear that students are going to
4: cheat using these tools. And I struggle with what the idea of cheating means. Does it mean that you put in the prompt and then you just cut and paste that into the thing? And does that count as cheating? Anyway, so that's the thing for is to, it is that change management that Brian mentioned. And maybe it is just a cultural thing that will change a long time, that people will just think about it differently. And maybe that will make students who They want to embrace it. It's such a time-saving tool, but I think one of the things—if they're encouraged to revise papers—that's not cheating. You put in your thing. It checks your grammar. It checks your spelling. It comes up with something a little better. Maybe you're wanted to—you want to read an article, like a scientific article, for your homework, but the reading level is just a little bit way out there for the science. Copy and paste it say can you tell me this at a high school reading level then suddenly it's much more understandable and digestible so those are some ways i think that students can use like the generative ai text the images i think those opportunities are just endless for students to either put on their papers in the presentations they've got to do for their coursework how does that work for admissions i saw there was a post in one of the facebook groups i'm a part of where Marketers and communicators were struggling with images that they needed to go along with their admissions information because they didn't have a wide selection of ethnicities represented in their photo library. Can you generate a photorealistic image or something that is acceptable for your team using these generative AI images tools? We're just a year in and already some of these photographs look like stuff you see on your campus. And then how do you talk about that? That's the thing, though, with this image that you would share, that you would generate, that shows all the opportunities that are offered. How do you talk about them to your audiences to get them accepted? But those are two things I think specifically. Admissions could use it to have some, oh, this photo is what we want college to be. We can represent this out there and get that and have that be aspirational content. And then using the generative AI text to revise and ideate and brainstorm.
2: Yeah, Brian, your thoughts on that? Because I'm going to add it a little bit here in a moment too. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems
3: that people face when they're first starting to explore the opportunities of AI is there are so many tools. There are so many different things that you could do with these tools. And there are very few like kind of educational or guided paths to help you understand the capabilities. Bart you had the analogy that these AI tools are like being in the Iron Man suit but if you're trapped in that Iron Man suit and you don't understand how anything works and you can't talk to Jarvis and uh, then you're just in a big you know prison basically and I think that you know the professors are worried because the traditional methods that they've used to assess their students now are called into question Which is great because education should be innovative. We should be looking for new ways to teach and new ways to learn. And, you know, I've got three kids in college right now and many of their professors are like, you cannot use chat GPT. And I understand you need to teach the fundamentals of writing. You need to teach problem solving, all those things. But you can leverage these AI tools to help you teach those. You can set them up as tutors. You could set them up as mentors. You can have conversations with these tools and create diverse ways of looking at things, different ways to solve problems. So there was one professor who told the students to write the initial essay and then have ChatGPT write a a similar essay and then compare and contrast the two to figure out what was better and what was worse. So I think that, you know, just understanding the capabilities of these tools and starting to play around with them is going to lead to so much opportunity. And so we're going to be able to get rid of that work that we don't want to do anyway, that repetitive, monotonous, uh, analytic work that, you know, just sucks our time and we're going to be able to spend more time doing the creative, strategic, human storytelling work.
2: Yeah. And I. I know that Gil Appel, he was at the hashtag higher ed, and he was also at the summit. He's talked a lot about, you know, AI literacy. And I think that's one of the keys that we've got to help our institutions do is just everybody become literate on what AI is and what it isn't. Because I think to your point, Brian, is how can you, I mean, if we've got smart faculty and if they can understand it and not, you know, not repel it, I think they could come up with creative ways to utilize it in the classroom to kind of achieve a both and, Rather than an either or, and I think that's part of what the beauty of education is: asking the questions and doing the exploration and figuring that out. I mean, that's what education's based on. But I fear that too many people are quick to dismiss it because one, it's happening too quick; it's 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 hard to understand sometimes; it's outside of their comfort zone, and so it's it's much easier just to dismiss it and say, "I don't want to have anything to do with that." And I kind of liken that to the analogy of you know, I loved your analogy, Brian of you know, the hammer versus a nail gun, there's no, nothing wrong or unmoral or that, that going and trying to use a nail gun versus a hammer. You're not a better carpenter because you use a hammer. You're not a, you're not a, a, you're not a free range writer because you don't use chat GPT. I think people try to kind of put these overlays on and make it kind of black and white as opposed to seeing it as a tool. And so there's just so many tools and we have a new toolbox that we've never had.
0: The thing
4: that part that makes me think about is, you know, you can still go and buy handmade, handcrafted boots, gloves, like you can get that stuff that if you want that, you can find that. And if you want, that's valuable to you and you will pay a lot of money to get those things because that is what you believe and support. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody has a huge staff of writers and creatives and, you know, all those kind of people. Some people have, they're struggling to get resources to even pay their staff. And these tools can really alleviate some of those resource needs in a very very simple way and the other thing that i was thinking about and brian you sort of alluded to this too is with the teachers there must have been a time was like no we will only use slide rules in this calculus class that is all that we will use and someone shows up with their calculators like get that garbage out of here because you cannot understand these concepts without the slide rule so it's just it's all, this is always happening. This is not a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's not the end of our world. I have other worries about robots. Generative AI is not. it.
2: <laughs> oh, that's great. And and I think Troy, your original question was about what are some of the tools that you're using. So I mean, I don't want to I don't want to date this, but I think that there are some big players that are going to be around for a while. I think ChatGPT, OpenAI's tool. I think Anthropic's Claude AI is going to be a big one. I think Adobe is really putting some big money behind AI. I know that Anthropic was just purchased by Amazon. OpenAI was purchased by Microsoft. So imagine the big players, they're going to be gobbling these guys up. So Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, they're going to be the big players in this. But then you've also got the the little guys like Canva that are doing some amazing things on their own. And so I think it's—I I think that just being aware of the tools that are out there, I mean, you look at 11 Labs with Gen and some stuff like that. I mean, there's just a lot of different tools out there. I saw a meme today, somebody put together and there's a, uh, this is uh, you know, end of October of, of, of 2023. And there's a meme on Instagram that's going around or on social media with the, the scene from, I forget what movie it is, but they're singing the, you know, turnaround bright eyes and the little kids are doing the different, you know, off voices. And then the final kid is like this beautiful voice. I forget what movie it is, but. The meme is like applying different things to it. And somebody did it today with like generative AI. It was like, you know, chat GPT. And then the last voice, the beautiful voice was Canva. It's like, I was like, well, that's pretty bold. So
4: (laughs) was it from a Canva employee? I don't even know.
2: I don't (laughs) know who did it, but it was pretty funny, but it was just, you know, they were joking around what's your favorite tool type of thing. But I think that there are so many different tools and it's going to change so quickly. I mean, we're laughing about that today and. Three months, it's going to be a whole different you know ballgame.
4: Canva is, I think, the way it's going to infiltrate, to use that sort of negative word, campuses. Because student organizations use Canva every day to make their flyers and stuff for online stuff. So if they're using Canva and there's a little thing right there that can click a picture, click some generative AI images or video I know is going on now, that is a game changer for those student organizations to tell their stories and get people to join their clubs, raise awareness of what's going on for the student life at our colleges.
2: Yep. And even the smallest schools, that's something that they could be using as well. So.
4: Can I say that's the one thing now I'm going to jump to the end and just say, that's the thing you could do today is go get that <laughs> free Canva. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. But I think that Canva is a, a great way that that's going to.
3: Well, I think that the generative capability, the conversational capability of this technology is really what makes it so different. I, I was talking with someone today who was editing some video, And they were spending so much time just figuring out where the right tool was or what the function was that they needed to find to be able to put this certain effect or fade on the film. And all you have to do now is just go in and say, I want this to fade down. And I want this to fade up and blend these two images together and put this video, overlay this video on top of this. And I think that is going to create so much potential and make the the user experience entirely different in in the way that we function and create content.
4: That's that prompt engineering, Brian, that is so exciting. Like that is the creative process for generative AI is how do you tell these stupid machines how to make the beautiful thing that's in your head? Oh my god, that is the real source of creative frustration.
2: And I think that is the skill that everybody's going to need to learn that I think that a lot of people and a lot of people That I meet, they're like, oh, yeah, I've tried AI. Why are you so excited about that, Bart? Because I did chat GPT one time and, you know, I typed in, give me a blog on why you should come to, you know, XYZ University. I wasn't that impressed with it. I'm like, well, let me explain. Let me show you my prompt. And they're like, oh, that's a lot longer. (laughs) There's a lot more (laughs) thought behind that. (laughs) Um, And and I think that's the key. And that's where the skill and the creativity and the human element has to be, because, I love your point, Andrew. These are dumb machines. They are. Without being able to have the human control and having it in the, I mean, I hate to use this analogy, but there's, I can pick up a violin and I can make sounds with it. But if I put it into the hands of a maestro, the exact same violin, it's a whole different experience.
1: So if I can go to Brian, and as I asked you to continue to cast your gaze toward the horizon, what do you think? anticipate the future of AI in higher education marketing to be over the next couple of years?
4: I think it's avoiding the bust that goes with the boom of the gold rush. Not to get too excited about what the tools can do, the flashy things that you can have, the, the the way that it can make your workflow better and more efficient, but what does it mean in the long run? How can it be part of an ongoing workflow? When you're onboarding a new person into your team and you're saying, this is how we use generative AI text and images and video and music and what we do. So it's not like, wow, this is great. And then you leave and the department doesn't use it anymore. But how can it really... Build a beautiful, beautiful, sustainable place that can make life really, really good for the students
2: in the future. One of the things that I'm thinking, I'm going to go a little bit of a different angle than what these two gentlemen have, but I I think that there's a lot of headwinds right now in higher education. You've got the enrollment cliff coming up, you've got a lot of uncertainty in our economy and in, in our world, to be honest with you. And there's a lot of challenges out there that are starting to put stress on the system. I think when you throw in AI, And the quickness that it's coming upon, I think that you're going to find an inflection point coming probably I'm predicting in the next six to 18 months where change management is going to be almost the most difficult, challenging thing for higher education leaders. And I don't care if you're a leader in, as a manager in the marketing department, or if you're a leader as a president or a board member, there's going to be so much change happening and it's going to feel like you're in the middle of a tornado. And I think that when you think about. The headwinds that I talked about, when you think about all the AI and you're going to see competitors that are using AI and and leapfrogging and doing things, um, I think there's going to be a shift in leadership because I think a lot of a lot of people that are, you know, I don't, I don't mean this disrespectful, but I think there's going to be a lot of boomers that are going to say, you know what, I'm ready to check out. This is too much for me right now. I didn't sign up for this amount of change, this amount of stress. They're going to punch their ticket and check out. So there's also going to be a little bit of a vacuum of leadership where you're going to have a lot of a lot of xers a lot of millennials kind of quickly taking into into some of these leadership roles and I think that that's I think that's a good thing if you can be prepared and you know the tools to use and you know how to how to ride that wave because you have been riding a wave such as AI you've been you've been honing your skills you've been grabbing the tools you understand the tools that are available to you I think that's going to be a good thing For those who've prepared, but I I, I don't know. I mean, I might be a little bit too much doom and gloom, but I I just feel like there's a, we're coming to an inflection point that, that knowing and understanding and and spending a little time on these new tools and understanding the enrollment cliff and understanding some of these headwinds could serve you and your institution quite well.
3: Yeah. Just to to build on that a little bit, I completely agree. I think right now we're talking about AI, but there are so many technology advances that are happening right now. I mean, COVID showed us that we can do distance learning and we'll charge the same money for it, even though previously we were like, oh, well, we can't do online learning because there's no value in it, but we can do online learning. The metaverse, the blockchain are showing us that there are different ways to deliver training, different ways to reach global audiences. We're gonna have to, you know, higher ed has typically been slow to, adopt change, typically slow to innovate in the, you know, administration side of things. Certainly I think that's all going to have to change because education is going to change the way we educate the globe. The opportunities are vast and we have to figure out how to scale up our delivery methods and our management methods and our, you know, marketing and communication methods and the schools that, embrace that change and adopt these new technologies with a specific goal and a specific targeted strategy are going to come out on top
4: brian that makes me think that we're facing this thing where there's a decreased perception of the value of higher education itself and maybe that let's love that just desire for the status quo is what isn't as valuable to people who are 13, 14, and 15. They don't want to be a part of a system that has created the world that we live in now that is what higher education has done. It has built this world that we live in. It has built the people that are running this world. We just saw the, the horrible things that were happening in the nation's capital. Those people went through the higher education system that our administrators and faculties want to maintain that these technologies threaten to change. And I think that is exciting. That is of value if we can embrace these changes. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to go to that Ivy covered wall, I want to go to that flashy digital space where I can learn on my own time. I can be with people that I know and understand and believe in what I believe in. That's exciting.
1: I'm coming to you, Andrew, because with the rapid growth of AI, we'll love to know your thoughts about the considerations of regulatory restrictions or what's going to be down the road as far as regulatory concerns. That brings right back to
4: the gold rush because, as you said, like these were public lands. You could walk up to any stream, stick your thing in there, and get the gold out. Now, what if there was a landowner right across the stream like, that's my land. I don't think that's your land. I'm taking the gold from here. You can't stop me. The rules will come. These tools will develop ways for concerned artists or creators to say, I don't want your machine learning models trained on my work. I don't want it. So there will be ways that they are... These companies, while they recognize that this is an important part in the development of how humans interact with technology and collaborate with these tools, they also need to make money. That's why these free part the free access to some of these, like you get five credits a day, then you start to generate an image. you're like, "Oh my God, I want to keep going, oh, I'm so sorry. If you spend twenty dollars, you can get more credit. They want to make money. So they realize that if they are not finding ways to bring into account these moral and ethical, considerations. Nobody's going to use them and they will go by the wayside. So the pace of people's using them is definitely outstripping the regulations that are going on in there, but they will get caught up at some point. There will be a fence in front of that stream where yesterday you went and got a big old nugget of gold that you can't go today unless you pay to get through the gate of the gatekeeper. And I'm going to stop there.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think that the problem with regulation is that the government doesn't move nearly as fast as this technology is moving and you know we we would hope that we could rely on the companies that are building this technology to create ethical ai and but we know from social media that that's not going to happen either but now we're seeing other companies who are coming up with ways to fool these AI engines and to diffuse images so that you can't be scraped and it'll you know break the AI image that tries to scrape and consume that image. There's all these you know AI detector programs out there that are constantly not working very well because they're always battling with these AI companies. And I think a lot of it is gonna come down to the users. It's gonna come down to what are we willing to consume as content that we know as AI generated And how much do we trust anything that we see or hear or read? Because we know that there's a possibility, a potential, that it was just generated either maliciously or just generated by a machine that was making things up. So I think it's going to come down to technology helping us figure out ways to better gatekeep and better indicate what is AI generated and what is not. What can we believe and what can we trust? That's what it really comes down to. People want to be able to trust the content that they consume. And we have real problems with that right now. Troy, I think
4: for me, it's not so much the regulations and the morals and the ethics. It's the bias of the machine learning models themselves and how they get trained that's the big problem I think needs to be sorted out for the future of these technologies. Because the machine, they're not cutting and pasting images. They're not looking out there to like do that. That's not how these machine learning want to work. They're trained on data. Everything is turned into data. Who is giving the data that says, this is what a hand looks like. This is what a doctor is. This is what an astronaut is. So if the machine learning model only knows that a certain way that a doctor looks, then when someone says, show me a doctor, that's what the machine is like. Okay, I know what a doctor is. I've been taught. So how are these machine learning models learning, that bias that goes into it, either the unsupervised learning of the machine learning, where they're just teaching themselves, those biases get really, really baked in there really hard, or the human, the the more assisted learning, then you have the human bias that goes onto it. So more than regulations, it's the bias of the machine learning models themselves that concerns me.
2: Yeah. And I'm just going to add to that, Andrew, because I'm sure there's a lot of people, and I saw it in the comments at the summit where there were a lot of people that were like, Hey, this doesn't seem right. Or they had a bias toward AI that I think that because they were not as informed as they could have been started to dismiss it altogether. I I was in a conversation the other evening in a board meeting that was at, and there was a gentleman that he had an opinion about AI, but I don't, I believe he'd never used it or never had experience with it. And so his example was, it was a marketing conversation and he said, well, if you go to an ad agency and a client asks the question, well, who did this creative and it wasn't Johnny and you have to say it was chat GPT. Well, you just, you can't charge $250 an hour. Now you have to charge. It's not worth anything because a machine made it. And I was like, okay, you don't understand how these tools work because the, I could say Johnny and chat GPT made it. And all of a sudden that makes it worth a whole lot more. And so I, I think we have to be really careful, especially if you're listening and you're on the fence and saying, I'm kind of agreeing with Andrew on this ethical, this bias thing. I've read about that. I, I have some concerns about that. And if you haven't tried it and you don't understand the other side of it, then that makes you almost as biased as what you're complaining about with the machines. And so I really would challenge people to, before you dismiss it, that's my biggest fear is that people dismiss it because they think that they understand it and they They've heard the negativity. They've heard the problems of it. They've heard, you know, how it scrapes these things or it creates biases in the images that it creates before you dismiss it. You need to really understand it a lot more. I I guess that's just one of the things that I would just want to make sure that I would make a comment about.
4: Generative AI tools are more complex than even like blockchain currency. And so if your mind (laughs) sort of doesn't, like, I don't know how the blockchain, I don't know what a Bitcoin is, how that works, mining for that. Then once you start learning like how machine learning models work and what a large language learning model is like that is, there's a lot to sort of wrap your head around just how these things, it's fascinating. But I don't know how a car
2: works, but I drive one every day.
4: Right. I don't know how a car works either. I put the key in and I turn it. I, that, uh, yeah, that's my driver's lesson. Maybe that's the thing we need in high school is prompt engineering lessons like driver's ed.
1: You get prompt you get prompt ed.
4: <laughs> oh, I got a prompt ed for an hour. That'd be awesome. I want to take uh, that I think through. you're on to
1: something, Andrew. Well, that brings us to the end of this version of this conversation, but I'm sure that we're going to continue it in episodes to come. But before we leave all together... Andrew would like to know if there are any final thoughts that you would like to share or maybe a piece of advice that once shared could be quickly implemented for an interested listener.
4: Absolutely. And this goes right to sort of what Bart was just talking about is getting out there and using it and learning to understand. So in our colleges, we have these things, our events calendars. There are events happening across our campuses all of the time. And some of these events are just little mentions of like a super cool thing. They don't have a poster. They don't have a flyer. They don't have a photo of anything in there. So what you can do right today is to get a free account on the generative AI image tool of your choice and then take that description. Take literally description of the event. Take that put that in to the prompt and you'll get something that's really evocative and and eye-catching. That's all you need for social media content is just to arrest the scroll for a moment. And your generative AI image can do that. Find out about what the event is and then maybe someone will find out
1: about the event. You can do that right now. That is awesome. Thank you Andrew. Brian, you're up.
3: Yeah, I would say as important as starting to play with these tools and starting to use these tools, I would say Find some really good resources. I I highly recommend for anyone in marketing, the Marketing AI Institute, they do a weekly podcast where they talk about everything that happened that week. And every week there is so much information. They can't even fit it all into an hour long podcast. And it's just a great way to start understanding how some of these different tools and techniques can be used and leveraged in marketing. Ethan Mollick is also another great person to follow on social, Twitter, X, wherever, LinkedIn. He has great posts about just different ways to use different tools, different things that you can do with them. Just start playing around.
1: Thank you. And thank you both for a wonderful conversation. Again, we've been listening to Andrew Castle, senior social media strategist and content producer at Middlebury college and the author of upcoming journal article about divesting from Facebook and Instagram Andrew for someone that would like to contact you what would be the best way for them to do so
4: You can visit any of Middlebury College's social media channels and direct message me
1: right through there <laughs> Thank you Andrew and also Brian Piper director of content strategy and assessment at the University of Rochester and co author of Epic Content Marketing with Joe Palizzi. Again, Brian, how can someone best get your attention?
3: You can go to brianwpiper.com. I've got a weekly newsletter that I put out, or you can find me on almost any social channel at Brian W. Piper.
1: Thank you, Brian. Bart, do you have any final thoughts before we wind this episode up? I'm going to keep it pretty simple today. This has been a
2: great conversation. I really appreciate you guys coming on to talk about this. And I'm going to, it's going to sound self-serving, but it really isn't. This AI Summit, we have a digital ticket now. If you missed it and you're like, oh, wow, I really just need some, to get up to speed on it on how we're using it in higher ed marketing. I would really encourage you to do that. The whole point of doing that was i I saw a need that more people needed to understand this in higher ed marketing and how it could really transform what they do and how they do the noble work of transforming student lives by getting them a, a, a post-secondary degree. And so we'll put in the show notes access and how you can get that, that digital ticket. But I j- and subscribe to this. I mean, we're talking about this stuff. We try to stay on the edge and try to really kind of provide resources to the community for the betterment of everybody. So
1: thanks for, thanks for that. Thank you, Bart. And a big thanks to our behind-the-scenes maestro, Rob Conlon, and his team at Westport Studio for ensuring our production is always top-notch. The Higher Ed Marketer Podcast is proudly supported by Kaler Solutions, your go-to for education, marketing, and branding agency. And we're also sponsored by Ring Digital, innovators of precisely targeted direct-to-device digital ads increasing yield for enrollment teams, and serving the higher ed community commendably. My name is Troy Singer, along with my co-host Bart Kaler, extending our gratitude for you tuning in.
0: You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.